Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast. You know, one of the interesting things is as we kick off Easter weekend, we always kick it off with what is called Good Friday for most of us. And you sit there and you start to think, Good Friday, how good was that Friday? And I think it's according to what perspective you look at that day from, because for so many it looked like a day of defeat and a day of discouragement and a day of death. And if you're looking through the lens even of the disciples at that time, uh, they stood there and looked upon their bloodied leader suspended between two thieves, and they had to be thinking, is this really how the story ends? I mean, they had left their families, and they had left professions and possessions and everything they knew to, to follow him, and now they stand there thinking, man, this is a bloodied mess. Is this the way the story ends? Well, the good news is it's not the way the story ends, but I'm sure they were captured with that thought. Also, you've got the earthly mom, Mary, there, and she watches this little baby that she raised, that she nursed, that she was told by the angel, he's Messiah, he's Emmanuel, God with us, and she stood there watching her baby boy die a criminal's death, and she had to think, is this the way the story ends? Joseph the angel told him, hey, you need to marry this pregnant virgin. That had never been done before, and he did. But he stood there and looked on as what he would view as his half-son because uh, Jesus had a different dad than any other kid would ever have. But he looked on as Jesus was being crucified and murdered. And you've got to stop and ask, is that really the way the story ends? And then you even have to ask, why would Jesus die such a, a tortured death? Why would he die such a murderous death? Why would he die on the cross? You ever thought about that? Why would you die the way you did? Why did you endure the shame of the cross the way you did? The Apostle Paul would write to the believers in Corinth, and in chapter 1 we get where Paul is writing, and he says, do you not understand that the word of the cross... To those perishing, it's foolishness. But to those being saved, it is God's power unto salvation. Uh, Paul even writes and says, do you not realize that even the, the talking and the mentioning and the emphasizing of the cross to those perishing, the word perishing literally means those that are on the path to destruction. On Those on the path to destruction look at the cross and they go, that's foolish. And the word foolish literally translates, that's insane, that's ignorant, that's moronic. That's what the word literally means. That's where we get our English word moron from. To believe that a man would die a criminal's death like he did with such torture on the cross to offer salvation, that's moronic to believe that. And do you know that that's where a lot of people land even today? When they look at the message of the cross, many reject it, many ignore it, many shun it, many do not even want to talk about it. And for so many in our culture even today and for so many churches, the mention of the cross has been minimized and trivialized and it's just been eliminated from certain teachings today. That is a very sad thing. And you think about how the cross and even the story of the cross that I will unfold, it's a very harsh message. It is so much easier for you and I to celebrate resurrection. We come to Sunday and we go, man, resurrection. We, we get to celebrate today a dead man coming back to life. 
we go, high five, cool story. But when you get to the cross, it is an alive man becoming dead. And that's not a fun story to, comp- to contemplate. And so you stop and you go, why is it so hard for us? It's hard for us because of how gruesome it was. But the why behind it, I believe, messes with us. Why did he die? Because God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. He was dying for my sin. And he was dying for your sin. So I believe it is so important that many times throughout the year, not just at Easter, that you stop and you look at the cross. You evaluate the cross. You examine the cross Because the cross is the power of God offering salvation. When you look at the cross, you see that God is revealing and releasing salvation and hope to the entire world. The cross reveals the power of God. Now the truth is, as we look at it and as you dive into it, None of us can contemplate and and consider and even understand the weightiness of the cross, how painful, how brutal the cross was. We, 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 We can't get there. We can't comprehend it. Even when we try to, we can't. You remember that evening before Jesus would walk the Via Della Rosa when he goes to a place called Gethsemane, also known as the wine press, if you will, the olive press where they would squeeze these olives and the oil would come out. You remember when Jesus is there that night before the Via Della Rosa and he falls on his face and he begins to cry out to God. And he cries out and he says, Lord, God, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. And the scripture says that Jesus was in such agony that he began to sweat like drops of blood. And there was so much tension inside of him. And you would say, why was there there so much tension even that night before the Via Della Rosa, the cross? Why, why, Why was there so much tension? Because he was staring down the cross. He knew what was before him. He knew he would be murdered. He knew he would be rejected. He knew he would be abandoned. He knew he would be humiliated. And so he cries out, Father, if it be your will, please take this cup from me, but not what I will, but what you will be done. And each and every one of us walk in here this morning, and we're will worshipers. The problem is most of us worship our own will and not the will of God. And it is such a tug of war of the soul for each and every one of us to get to the place where we say, God, I want your will to be done. I want my will to be gone. And it's so hard to give up our will because we love doing what we want to do, how we want to do it. Jesus is then arrested while he's coming out of Gethsemane, and they lead him to a place called Gabbatha. And Gabbatha in Scripture is called Stony Pavement. And if you read John chapter 19, the Scripture reads very brief and very quick. It says that Pilate took Jesus and had him scourged, and it just keeps going on like Everything is kind of cool, like Pilate had Jesus scourged, like they popped him on the bottom a couple of times and told him, hey man, be moving on, that's not, that's not it. Most of us have never contemplated or really dove into scourging or flogging in that day. But when you look at what it was about, when Jesus is tied to a whipping post and you've got Roman soldiers on each side of him, and they've got these whips, and inside those whips have been 
tied together pieces of metal and bone fragment and steel and all kinds of glass and all kinds of just stuff that would shred your body. And you've got one Roman soldier popping him and the whip goes around him and they yank back and then the other. And for 39 lashes, they shredded him. There's a lot of times we've seen these cute little pictures of Jesus just kind of hanging there on a cross or a couple pieces of rope tied around him and a couple of like trickles of blood coming out of him. It's so inaccurate. They shredded his body. They take him there and scourge him. And he's being scourged and you've got to stop and consider, please consider that the innocent is being treated as guilty and perfection is being punished and the creator is being tried as a criminal. The one who spoke the worlds into existence, the God of all creation is being treated and punished as a, as a criminal. His body is shredded. They take him from Gabbatha and they lead him to a place called the garrison room. Matthew 27 captures this, that when they take him to the garrison room, these Roman soldiers continue to jeer him and spit on him and ridicule him and mock him. And that's where they take these, this crown of thorns that they've woven together, four, five, six inch thorns, and they thrust it down and push it down on his brow, on his head, and began to beat it with a stick until it goes through the temple. And his body is under such duress and stress and he's pouring blood from his head and his body is shredded from what happened to him at Gabbatha. You're like, why would you do something like that? Why would you endure the, the scorn and the shame of the cross? Why would you do that? I, I, seriously, you've got to ask the question, why would you be humiliated that way? Because sin had to be dealt with once and for all. And he was the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And he willfully chose that route. And so I believe it is so healthy that we stop and go, the cross, ah. Oh. So they lead him from the garrison room and they're spitting on him and they're cursing him. And he's got this crown of thorns and his body is lacerated and he's lost so much blood and energy and strength. And they're forcing him to carry his own cross to a place called Golgotha, Mount Calvary, place of the skull. And it's there that they nail him to the tree. Again, he's shredded, he's pouring blood. And they take these spikes and drive them through his wrist and through his feet, not through the palms, but through the wrist. And they said that when the spike, this five to seven inch spike would penetrate and go through, that there was such a fiery pain and it was almost unbearable. And they said there was no word in that day to capture the essence of the pain of what the Savior was going through. So they, they created a word. And the word they created was excrucius. And it literally means out of the cross because they said nobody's ever been through such torture like him. Excrucius. And they've spat on him and they've jeered him and they they're like, you saved others and save yourself. And he willfully hung suspended. And as I mentioned, some of the disciples and Mary and others stand there looking at him. It's just stop. Just, just stop with me. To contemplate the death of Jesus is very sobering. It's very sobering. 
But Jesus had made this statement that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And can I tell you, there is no way for you and I to be reconciled or restored or connected back to God except for the cross of Jesus Christ. Even the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 would say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It was the perfect Lamb of God who had never lied, stolen, cheated, who had never sinned, becoming sin. Again, he made him who knew no sin, who had never sinned, to become sin. And he carried my sin and my guilt and my shame and yours on the cross. You, you see, when we look at the cross, you've got to contemplate and consider how gruesome and brutal it was. But when you look at the cross, the cross offers forgive, forgiveness and it offers salvation and it offers hope and it offers healing. The, the cross offers so much. The cross is God's most powerful statement and symbol known to humanity. And he's basically saying, I agape the world and I agape you, Blake. I love you. My arms are wide open for you. If you would have been the only person on the planet, Blake, I would have died for you. I love you. I want you connected to the heart of the Father. I want you walking in the fullness of what the Father intends. And you see, the cross is where we place our faith in Jesus and him alone and no other world religious system. It's where we find life and we find peace and we find purpose and we find meaning and we find redemption and we find restoration and even the Apostle Paul would write to the believers in Galatia, in Galatians 6.14, and he says, if I'm going to boast and if I'm going to brag about anything, it's going to be Jesus and the cross. That's all I'm going to boast about. That's all I'm going to brag about. And even he would say in Corinthians, you see, if, if Christ be not raised from the dead, our preaching means nothing. It's futile. But if he has been raised from the dead then it's everything. And I was like, yes. So as we sit here and prayed some nine years plus ago, it's like, man, this church here has gone through some ups and downs, but it's like, man, there's a, there's a new season of what God is wanting to do. And it's like, if you could name this church anything and rename this church, Nomen Est Omen, the name is the destiny, what would you name it? And I was like, guys, we've got to name this place the cross the cross. I don't want a neighborhood name. I don't want a cute name. I don't want a clever name. The most powerful name I know is the cross. Because to those being saved, it is God's power unto salvation. The cross is where Jesus was tortured and murdered for our sin, our punishment, mine and yours. It's where despicable brutality happened that changed the course of human history at the cross. Do you ever have any church affiliation way back when you were a younger kid and maybe they told you to open that old hymn book to page whatever and as you did, they sang at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart were rolled away and it was there by faith I received my sight at the cross. 
It was despicable brutality that took place at the cross that offers hope and healing and salvation. The cross is where God's wrath is poured out and dumped out on his amazing grace. And grace embraces wrath in the ultimate declaration of agape love known. I'll carry it willfully. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross The cross is God's statement that screams, it is finished. And the phrase of that day was, tetelestai, debt paid in full, it's finished. Everything that the Father has required for man to be brought back into harmonious right relationship with God, accomplished, tetelestai, finished. Sin is dealt with once and for all. Hell is defeated. Heaven is declared victorious. Praise God for the cross. It is the anchor of our belief system. It is absolutely the foundation of where true theology is born. Listen to me, the cross is where an old man can die and be made new in Christ. The cross is where sinners become saints and It's where dead men are made alive, and it's where the lost are found, and it's where the blind can see, and it's where the poor are made as royalty. It's all at the cross. This old poor boy here became royalty in the eyes of God when he knelt at the cross. These blinded eyes that were filled with the ways of the world were opened when he came to the cross. And that same offer is available to you today. God wants to take any type of deadness in you and make it alive. God wants to restore what the enemy has tried to eat away. What addiction has tried to do to you, God wants to restore you today. He wants you to come to the cross and he wants you to know that that is where salvation is born. That is where the church was birthed. It is absolutely the most powerful symbol and statement known to man. Now listen, the cross demands, it demands a response. Jesus didn't die just to make bad people good. As I said, he died to make dead people alive. He didn't die to make your life easy. And there's a, there's a, a philosophical thought process, Rick, even today, where people think, man, if I just ask Christ to save me, my life's going to be easy after that. No, Master Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He invites us to come to him and die to ourselves and completely surrender and allow him to live his life in and through us. Here's the question. Here's the question. Have you embraced his salvation, meaning have you violently repented of sin and placed your faith and confidence in Christ? And have you totally yielded and surrendered to him, asking him to sanctify you and set you apart and make you the person he desires you to be? Have you embraced his salvation? If not, how long will you reject it? How long will you ignore it? What are you going to do with it? Heaven's door is wide open today for people like you and me to come and kneel and find life. Now, the good news as we bow on this glorious Sunday is the the shame and the scorn and the bloodiness of the cross gave birth to the resurrection. And as those ladies came down to that tomb early that first Sunday morning after Sabbath, 
and they got there, the angel said, I got good news for you. He's not here. He is risen. Just as he said he would do. And so the resurrection is the door on which the the whole belief system of Christianity swings. If there be no resurrection, we have no hope. And the one thing that separates Christ from all other world religious leaders is that he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he said he was going to do it. It was prophesied that he was going to do it. And so can I tell you today that Christ is not in some tomb in Jerusalem? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he lives to make intercession for us who believe. Come on, give it up for the Lord. That is the truth. We celebrate the goodness of the resurrection. And because of the resurrection, let me share with you three powerful truths that I believe God wants each and every one of us to walk in today. Three. And it's going to be past, it's going to be present, and it's going to be future. Because of the resurrection, number one, my past is forgiven. All of my guilt, all of my shame, all of my failures, all of my mistakes are forgiven. That is good news for us today. That's because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, reality is, each and every one of us, we're all capable, and at times we all struggle with regrets and guilt that we have in our lives. All of us have jacked things up and we've done things, we've messed things up. And if we're not careful, we will allow the enemy to pick us apart and to keep us in a place of defeat. Listen to this letter. Pastor, I'm, 34, I'm 35 years old and divorced. I feel terrible. I have no hope for my future. Often I go home and I cry, but there's no one to hold me. It seems that nobody cares. Nothing changes and I continue to fail. I'm stressed out and I feel that I'm on the verge of a major collapse. Something is wrong and I can't even, to, I can't even relate to others anymore. You ever been there before? You ever felt like, man, you were at a place where you were hopeless and you had no direction and you felt like, I don't even know how to relate with people anymore. I don't even know how to relate with me. I don't even know how to do life. And I believe there's so many people that get stuck because of past failures and mistakes. And the enemy will, will, will just keep you chained up to your past if he can. And you're so stuck in the past that you can't live today. You, you can't let go of yesterday. Listen to what Paul would say writing to the believers in Colossae. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. He says, Jesus has canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of all the charges against us. He took it, all of the charges, all of the sin, all of the failures, all of the transgressions and iniquities. He took it and destroyed it. How? By nailing it to the cross. Did you hear me? Again, when Jesus cried out to Telestai, it is finished. What he was saying is, your debt has been paid in full. Past, present, Future sin, once and for all, it's, de- it's, it's dealt with. How freeing would that be if you embrace that truth today in your life? Anything I've ever done, anything I will ever do, I am forgiven. God has released me of that. I can tell you the cross is God's forgiveness plan. And one of the things that helps us, and we know this, there's so many people in this room that have stepped out of a guilt and shame-based narrative to receive the unconditional forgiveness of God, and it's changed their lives. Recently, 
Barb and I, we get this thing in the mail, and it said from the IRS. How many of y'all like in, how many of y'all enjoy receiving stuff from the IRS? Okay. If you owe them, you're going to hear about it. And if they owe you, you might get something later on down the road. Okay. She gets this thing and she goes, oh my God, we owe the IRS so much. And I'm like, hmm, from when? I got my own thoughts on certain things, but I'm not going to share them here this morning. I'm talking about the resurrection. <laughs> but I can tell you this. I can tell you this. She's like, we got to pay that. We got a couple people in our church and both of them work for the IRS. Barb reached out to them saying, hey, counsel me and tell me what, how, how I should proceed. And they did. Can I tell you something? When she was carrying that thing around, she was stressed out. We owe the IRS. I don't want the IRS coming at us. Da, 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 da. And this stuff was stressing her out. Can I tell you that as soon as she wrote that check and put that in the mail and certified it and released that thing and paid for it, she let it go. There were days where she was like occupied with, we got to pay them. And this is going to be a little money over here that we've got to release to them. But as soon as she paid it, she let it go. She didn't walk around the next hours or the next days or the next weeks going. Do, 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 do you remember when we owed a debt to the IRS? As soon as she wrote the check, it was gone. And there's so many people that are still carrying around the weight of a debt that Christ has paid for, and he's going, you need to release it. I've already dealt with it. It is paid in full. Come on. It frees you up. And I would encourage you, like even when Jesus makes this statement, this was a freeing statement for, you, for me as a brand new believer. He goes, hey, hey, hey. And I know he's just, John's capturing this, but I personalized it. And it's like, Cash, I didn't come into the world to condemn you. I came into the world to save you. Well, I'm like, well, why have I got all this condemnation and guilt and stuff? Because the enemy, he wants to condemn you. But there's no condemnation in Christ. Would you receive his unconditional forgiveness today? Because of the resurrection too, I can live today with hope. That is encouraging. I can actually get up and live today with hope. And when you figure out that you don't have it all figured out, that's a good place to be. As long as you think you've got it figured out and you can call the shots, that is a bad place to be. But when you realize you can't manage your own life, that is a good place to be. Man, there is a God and I am not him and I need him. And a complaint that I hear so often is my life is out of control. I have no direction. But you were never meant to live life on your own power. And God, through the resurrection, invites you to come and repent and surrender and yield. And you go, you're trustworthy. I, I need to follow you. Ephesians 1, I love this passage. Verse 19 and 20. Dean, this is a passage to pray over our spouses and over our families and over our workers and people in our lives. Where Paul prays, and I pray this over you today. I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe. 
I mean, that would be such a powerful thing. Like I have five children, right? Rachel and Benji and Jesse, Hannah and Caleb and all my grands and, 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 and their spouses and just stop and just go, Lord, I pray that Rachel today, all the way down to Caleb, I pray that they would understand the incredible greatness of your power. Lord, I, I pray that they would walk in your power, in your strength, that they would understand that the same power, oh, stop, the same power that raised the Savior from the dead some 2,000 years ago resides in them. What are you praying for? I'm praying that they will know your power. I'm praying that I will know your power. If you walked in God's power today, what would it look like? If you walked in God's power, even though there's things that you've done that you've still allowed to, to, to just assassinate and annihilate your thinking, if you let it go and walked in his power today, what would happen? Even when those family members and friends that you may break bread with later on today when they look at you with a look like, oh yeah, you're a drug addict or you're a criminal or you did this and you look and go, huh, based on the power of God, I'm a new man and if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and all things have become new. You can look at me and judge me based on my past, but I am walking free today based on my present. I am a child of the King. Somebody needs to hear that today. And God has given us his power so that we can face today. Not that we would be arrogant and puffed up and proud. He's like, I've given you my power, not so that people would dig you and applaud you, but so that you could walk with me and reflect me to the world. A couple of things. My past has been forgiven. I can live today with hope. And here's another one. And this, this frees me up big time. My future is secure. When Jesus said, no one will ever be able to take you and pluck you out of my hand. I'm like, nobody can take me away. I'm secure in Christ. If you've truly experienced salvation, I didn't say if you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer, but if you have truly experienced salvation and you're walking in God's salvation, you can walk with security and freedom today. Now, there's four basic questions. Listen, many of you, many of you come in here today and some haven't been in church in a while. I mean, some of you, it's been years. Some of it's been months. Occasionally, we meet people that it's been never. It's kind of interesting. But there's four basic questions that kind of plague and trouble the human soul. And each and every one of us have to deal with these questions. And it's the question of origin, meaning morality, and destiny. And so, you have to stop and go, origin, how did this all start? How did we get here? Uh, where did this all come from? Now, there's a lot of people that lean into the scientific views of things, and they will tell you that they believe in Darwin's theory of evolution and that things are continuing to evolve. We don't believe that. We, we believe that there is a God that created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form, and that God began to speak and said, let there be, and God eventually got to the point where he created you and me in his own image. We believe that there is a creator and there is an establisher and a perfecter. Now again, one of my favorite things, just to keep me in check, I go back to often, that the God I serve, our God didn't start when start got started, he started start, and he didn't begin when the beginning began, my God began the beginning. I go, yes, my God reached out where there was nowhere to reach, and he caught something where there was nothing and slung something into nowhere, and he told it to stay there, and it did. 
He's the originator. And then he took the hammer of his will and he smote the anvil of his omnipotence and he caught the sparks in his fingertips and he flipped them in his space and he called them stars. And nobody said anything because there was nobody to say anything to because he is God. Okay, that's where I land and we land as a church that there is an answer to the question of origin and it is the originator that God created. Then we get to the question of meaning. Question two, what is my purpose for being on the planet? Why do I exist? Some people would say, well, I exist for the purpose of pleasure. I live a hedonistic life. People have told me that. But I would tell you this. We believe, based on Scripture, that your fundamental purpose and the meaning that you have for being on the planet is to know God, walk with God, enjoy God, and glorify God. If you go all the way back to the first man, Adam, that God put on the planet, why did he exist? To know God, enjoy God, walk with God, reflect God. That's why you exist. That's your purpose. If you come in here today and you go, I don't even know what my purpose is. I just shared it with you. That's your purpose. Then you have to answer the question of morality. It is origin. It is meaning and then morality. Is there a standard of moral absolutes that should govern humanity? Is there a standard that's right and wrong that separates good from evil that God wants us to follow? And I would say, yes. God in his kindness and in his goodness gave us what we call the Bible. And the Bible is inspired by God, and we adhere to 66 books from Genesis all the way through Revelation, and we go, ah, look at what God has laid out for us there. God has given us a standard of moral absolutes and objective truth that we're to follow. That is so good. So you go, man, I, I, I hear where you're coming from, origin, meaning, morality, and then, then, and then the question of destiny. What happens when I die? Well, that one really troubles people oftentimes. What happens when I die? Do I just kind of go back to dirt and the worm buffet? Is there really this possibility that I'm going to live forever somewhere? Yes. The soul that sins will die, but your soul and spirit is going to live forever. And the only worldview that offers us comfort and hope to view the question of destiny it's the Christian worldview and the gospel of Jesus because Jesus defeats death, hell, and the grave and tells us that we will be resurrected with him. But without that, we perish. And you almost have to answer the four questions by starting with the fourth question of destiny. And it's only when you make sense of destiny can you go back and really appreciate an accurate understanding of origin meaning, and morality. So today we celebrate, and every day we celebrate, that Christ has risen from the dead and that Jesus has defeated death, hell, and the grave. And for those who fall asleep and die in Christ, they will be with him forever and ever. There's only one way to the Father, and it is through Jesus now, my mom has spent the last few days with me, and it's been so good just hanging out with mama. And as you know, my dad passed away, many of you, my dad passed away last July 4th. And, uh, but this morning, after uh, I'd gotten up and got a little cardio in, and I was like, I grabbed that little Gideon Bible that he had. It was a, a large print. His eyes were starting to fade on him. It was the last Bible my daddy ever read. 
And I was holding that Bible in my hand. And I, I almost brought that Bible and just held that Bible while I, while I was teaching and preaching today. Just to say, Daddy, I'm not worried about where you're at. And can I tell you something? Because of the faith that my dad had in Christ and the confidence he had in Christ, when that man took his last breath, I knew this, that for him to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. And I know that a lot of people feel like, man, I got to go out to the cemetery and I, I want to go to where mama is and daddy is. That ain't where my daddy is. My daddy is with the Lord because of his faith in the risen Christ. Where's your faith in today? What are you trusting? And I would tell you right now, the gospel is available, forgiveness is available, hope is available. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay by offering himself up as the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world and the brutal de the depiction of the cross that I laid out for you today is accurate. Study it. But the hope of the power of the gospel is that he conquered Don and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he offers each and every one of us a relationship with him that's vibrant and alive 24-7. Here's my close. Do you and would you like to receive complete forgiveness today? Man, what a great burden to be lifted and a great gift to receive. Would you like to receive a power that will help you manage and deal with any problems that come your way? Michael, it is a game changer when you yield to it, brother. And would you like to have your future completely secure? That's the difference the resurrection of Jesus makes for all of us. Would you bow with me and let's pray.